podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the80sruled.com for more 1980s awesomeness. I feel like, you know, usually I start off the show with a question, you know, well, the yeah. 1980s. I'm, uh, for yours, I feel like I need to start off with a disclaimer, you know, a warning. <laughs> like you may not want to listen to this show. It may be yeah. disturbing. And Were the 1980s the best time to get murdered? <laughs> the best time? Uh, uh, look, I agree to this. There's no going you back. You knew this was all coming. Right, okay, There's right. no turning back so. now. Once again, it's time for the 80s. An objective defense of the 80s. From a couple of idiots. Hey, welcome back to another episode of The Idiots, an objective defense of 1980s pop culture from, uh-oh, <laughs> from a couple of mm. murder junkies. Oh, no, no, one murder junkie, one one innocent bystander. Hmm. Look, we're going to do news, folks, and then Ray's yeah. going to take over and tell us some stories about murder or something. I don't know what, but I know it's going to be horrible. Not, not Ray's presentation. What happens is going to be horrible. <laughs> That's right. Wine and crime time. So, uh, you know, you'll be, you're warned, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen yet. <laughs> and if you're a, a new listener or a, a business partner or a potential sponsor, this is not our typical fare. Usually we do much lighter pop culture. Not usually. We always, we always do something lighter. All right. Hey, today, so today on the show, as we were just saying here, Ray is going to share some true crime stories for crimes that happened in the 1980s. Yeah, people got murdered in the 80s. All right, That's what go. we're doing today. Oh, God. But first, what do we got to do? What do we got to do first, Well, Well, first, you got to you know rate, review, subscribe, do all those things to help folks find the, the podcast. Really, seriously, it's a small gesture. It costs you nothing. It takes less than a minute. It makes a big impact. So thank you for doing that. Let's get caught up on 80s news. You're familiar. I don't know if you watched. Did you watch the Zack Snyder cut of the Justice League? Hell no. All right, so, you know, people have been calling for this for some time. And so then Zack Snyder, who unfortunately couldn't finish the first version of it in 2017, Joss Whedon took over. He did finally finish his vision. It's a four-hour tome of a Justice League film. And actually, I actually liked it better than the one that came out in the, in the movies, even though I generally don't like Zack Snyder. But anyway, I enjoyed it. But my point is this. We didn't know, or I didn't know, that people had been calling for the Sylvester Stallone cut of Rocky IV. I guess. <laughs> or maybe nobody was, but I think we talked about this maybe a year ago. Uh, probably, yeah. I, last year was the 35th anniversary of Rocky IV, and so Sylvester Stallone had intended to release then a director's cut of the film to coincide with the anniversary. Now, you know, his, his schedules would happen, and maybe the pandemic had some role in it. I don't know. Uh, he wasn't able to finish within that time frame, but he recently posted on Instagram a video of himself providing just the finishing touches to the director's cut. And the caption reads, last day of completing Rocky IV, get ready to rumble. Hmm. Did you see Rocky IV and thought, you know, I think they could have done something else with this. I'm good with the way it is. Yeah, I thought so too. Now, if he said he was redoing uh, the Tommy Gun movie, there was a director's cut of that. Yeah. I'd be like, all right, let, let me see that. But Rocky IV is fine the way it is. Cutting Tommy Gun out of it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, rest in peace, uh... What's his name? Oh, that's kind of a move on oh, your part. Hey, it's a murder podcast. We could talk about a guy thought, that died I, of AIDS. Yeah, I thought oh, that movie was fantastic. Oh, I, I can't believe you're being so harsh on somebody who died. Shoot, what's that boxer's name who played Tommy Gun? Tommy Gun. 
Oh, he that is his name, Tommy. That's oh jeez. That's not his character's name. That's his act that's what his yeah. Yeah, you can tell how much of a fan I am of the film. Anyway, Stallone said, quote, it's never complete. You can go back and see a movie that you've done fifty years ago and go, I've got to re-edit this. And every director feels the same way. End quote. To that I say, no, 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 no. Yeah. Who who is he talking to? George Lucas? Exactly. <laughs> no, don't say that in the public. George is we'll run with this. No. That's not true. Once you put it out there, that's it. It belongs to us. Yeah, I think Rocky Four is fine the way it is. And he he goes on to say, it's not about making a movie. It's about remaking. What? Hmm. No, you made the movie. Time, however much time you had, how much ever, whatever budget you had, story, etc. That's it. It's in the can. It's on the screen. It's done. Now, he did make some changes. And I think this is what we talked about maybe last year. There's going to be some new footage that wasn't seen in the original movie, including a fight scene between Rocky and Ivan Drago. And another major difference, which I think we talked about already, was that Paulie's pet robot will no longer be in the movie. Stallone says that the robot didn't feel, he didn't feel that the robot rather fit with the what he had in mind for the sequel. But the uh, creator of the robot, who also did the voice of the robot, Robert Dornick, claimed that Stallone cut the robot in order to save money on royalties that he would have had to pay to Dornick. That's dumb. I don't know. Who cares about the robot? It's just a, it's a minor, minor thing in the movie. Okay. Hey, in other 80s news, so I don't know if you watched the recent Godzilla versus Kong yeah, movie. No, no, I haven't seen that you yet. You only either. watch 80s movies. Huh? Wow. Well, what are you going to do? So I did watch it on HBO Max, which is also where I watched the Justice League. So, so does that mean you're going to ruin it for me right now? No, I'm not. I'm not. All right. I'm not, no spoilers. Uh, not really. Not any spoilers. So I saw this film and I thought, there's a couple of moments where I saw something and I thought, wait a second. Is that a coincidence that that's from an 80s movie? But it turns out, no, it's not a coincidence. Adam Wingard, who made the film, is a huge 80s movie fan and he's stuck in a number of Easter eggs that are references to films that we love. And some of them we couldn't be aware of. He based one character on Indiana Jones. The gentleman just happens to be a scientist. You wouldn't necessarily know, but he's an adventurous explorer of a scientist. But that that character at one point is wearing a vest that looks very much like Marty McFly's vest in Back to the Future. And it turns out that the costume designer not only confirmed that, she said he, they aged his sneakers so they would look similar to the sneakers that Marty wore in uh, the film as well. Huh. Additionally, another thing you wouldn't spot, he said he based the character on Kong to some extent, on John McClane in Die Hard. Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, he's not, now, I, this is what I could figure the, the comparison or the similarities are. He doesn't have shoes on and he probably stepped on a lot of broken glass because he's smashing <laughs> buildings like left and right. Look, man, I make no secret of the fact that the 1933 version of King Kong is my yep. all-time favorite movie. Hmm. So if anything, yep. Die Hard is a ripoff Oh. <laughs> of that movie. So don't tell me you based King Kong on anything other than King Kong. That'd be funny. I, I know. Hmm. Stick it up your butt, dude. Come on. <laughs> well, I guess I could say, sure, I joke about the shoes, but it's true. But, you know, I guess he's scrappy like John McClane. He's got to, you know, he's got to make do with his resources that he has available to him. But he, he all, and I guess in his defense, maybe you'd be interested in this. In the film, he does a lot of homages to the original King Kong and the original Godzilla, a lot of stuff like that. But the other, the final 80s movie that he references, and the one that mostly caught my attention, I thought, okay, finally. No, no, no. There's, he's definitely doing this on purpose. This is a minor spoiler. When King Kong is in a fight with Godzilla at some point, he gets his shoulder dislocated. Does sound familiar yet? Uh, what is that? Karate Kid? No. And his shoulder, in order to put his shoulder back in its socket, 
he bangs his shoulder against the building and pops it back in. And then he's able to fight again. The hell, I know what you're, I know the reference, but yeah, it's coming to mind. It's Riggs and Lethal Weapon when he gets himself out of that uh, straight jacket. Uh, yeah, yeah, Lethal yeah. Lethal Weapon too. The, the, the other movie that's an homage to King Kong. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, all movies, all 80s films are based on King Kong? Yes, it's the greatest movie ever made. Mm. And King Kong is the greatest action hero of all time. So now I, now I feel like we should be doing the 30ths show. I'm just telling you. Or the King Kongiots. I'm just I'm just putting it out there, man. Yeah. I love the original King Kong, and I don't think there's a movie as good as that one. So Yeah, and this movie probably doesn't live up to it, but it's pretty good. And, you know, hey, another 80s kid, you know, keeping the pop culture alive and proving, objectively, how it endures. <laughs> okay, and in other 80s news, we have heard from Bill Murray on, about Ghostbusters Afterlife. And I'm reading this from NME.com, which always sounds like enemy, like I'm saying it. And I'm sure that's why it's named that, but it's the letters, NME.com. Uh, yeah. uh, Bill Murray was uh, at a new Q&A where he was awarded the Malton Modern Master Award at the 36th Santa Barbara Film Festival just last week. Bill Murray was approached about um, a number of different things in connection with Ghostbusters, and he opened up about the new film. Quote, it really has the feel of the first one. More than the second one or the girls one. It sounds so. <laughs> it sounds so uh, demeaning. Yeah, go Bill, oh, go. Boy, geez, yeah, that means it's good. And if if Bill's behind it, yeah. but I, I also saw a quote from him earlier this week that said yep. you should always give a hundred percent unless you're donating blood. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's awesome. Uh, regarding the film, though, he did say that it was painful to work on. "Quote: It was hard. It was really hard. That's why I think it's going to be good." We were just in it for a little while, but it was physically painful. Wearing those packs is extremely uncomfortable. We had batteries the size of batteries. Now they have batteries the size of earrings. It's still a really heavy thing to wear all the time. And quote. I'm sure Bill Murray probably, he probably speaks well of every film he's in, though, right? I mean, he, look, he probably said something good about the girls one, as he says. He did not. He did not say anything good about it, but what do we do? I'm going to Google it. I'm going to Google it. You can Google whatever you, you want. I know he didn't say anything nice about it mm-hmm. because if you don't have anything nice to say, you don't say nothing at all. Mm-hmm. So, but from that quote, that means in the new movie, he's going to wear the blaster pack. Oh yeah, you're right. So hmm, that's a big reveal that he actually is going to be getting, joining the fight. Right. So that's a, that's a good thing. I see. I find a quote here. I was good luck. <laughs> Regarding being in the movie, says, I was in that movie just because they asked me. There you go. <laughs> and I knew if I said no, I was saying I didn't support the movie. I felt like, okay, I'm going to support them because I support them as people. So I did that one and I would do this one, <laughs> do this next one. Oh boy, yeah, that's not very uh, glowing at all. I told you, Bill's gotten, if Bill don't oh. believe it, Bill don't say it. Now I'm coming coming across that in 2014, the Daily Beast uncovered an internal email leaked in the Sony hack. You remember when Sony's email was hacked by yeah. an organization in North Korea, I think? It revealed that the studio once considered, quote, aggressive litigation against Murray, who declined to engage on <laughs> Ghostbusters. Oh, but he did say that his his simple answer for appearing in the reboot, the girls one, was, quote, it was, the, it was only because I knew these girls were funny. Well, he didn't say they were funny in the movie. All he said was, is they were funny. Like, Which I've even admitted that the one was funny in coming to America. So There you go. All right. Okay, hey, that was 80s news. Look, I'm stalling. I'm just stalling here, right? That was 80s Why? news. Because you don't want to hear about Moida. Dun, 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 dun. Who does? Now, you know, I say that, and I have listened to some true crime podcasts, and 
It can be fascinating. Mm -hmm. So today on the show, as we're saying here, Ray's going to take over and he's going to share some stories of true crime from the 1980s. Exactly. So to to, to set the mood, okay, I have my bottle of red wine, which I'm sipping from. So you suggest other folks be drinking too? Yeah, I would suggest um, if you can find a, a red wine of some sort to sip while you listen to this. So red wine goes with uh, murder stories, I guess? Or- yes, red wine, because it's similar to blood. Uh, unless you're in the car driving to work or home from work, <laughs> then I would not suggest you drink yeah. wine. I would suggest that you turn this off and wait till later when oh. you're at home mm-hmm. and you can shut off all the lights yeah. and drink some red wine. Yeah, Because that'll set the mood yeah. for moita. And to be truly like the 1980s, and because I don't drink, I've just gone straight to heroin. Because I'm, that's how worried I am about yes. what's going to unfold. Okay. Yeah, I also would recommend you not do heroin. <laughs> if you're driving to work or just generally? If you're in general, yeah. So are, are we ready for this, Will? Are you ready for murder? I've stalled as long as I can. Oh, there it is. <laughs> it's already scary. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It's a lot scarier than I thought. All right, here we go. Rebecca Schaefer. Oh, yeah. Oh boy. She began her modeling career when she was a junior in high school. And she enjoyed it so much that she convinced her parents to let her move to New York to pursue her career. Mm-hmm. Would you let your teenage daughter move to New York? How old is she? High school. That's a little young, but my yeah, my daughter wants to move to New York so, but she's older than that. Well, here's the here's the the good part of this story. Yeah. Cuz there's a good part. Yeah. When she got to New York, she landed a role on Guiding Light, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I believe, a soap opera of some yes. sort. Yeah, absolutely. And then in 1984, she got a job on One Life to Live, which is also another soap opera, and that lasted six months. Mm-hmm. So now she's got a real job. She's basically just out of high school now. Yep. And she's like, ah, hell yeah, I'm going to be a, a, a model. Because she started doing modeling too, but unfortunately, when you're five foot seven, yeah, in 1980s, modeling is not something you can do because you're too short. Yeah, certainly not a runway model. Yeah, right. So she goes, "Yeah, screw it. I'll be an actress." So moving forward, all of a sudden, she gets the role of Patty on My Sister Stam, mm-hmm. starring Pam Dauber of Mork and Mindy fame. Sure. So now she's a legitimate actress. So her parents didn't make a horrible decision by letting her go to New York. So everybody wins, right? Well, (laughs) at this point in time, Robert John Bardo took an interest in the actress. He liked the show and began sending her letters. And when I mean sending letters, I mean like letters. Like over and over, piles and piles, like Santa Claus letters. Jeez. So she eventually, she sees these letters and eventually she actually is like, yeah, I guess he's a fan. And she sends back a headshot signed, sends him a little letter. God. (laughs) And uh, you can see where this is going. And she's like, whatever. I won't remember this guy in two days. So she sends him the letter all signed up and ready to go. Then in 1987, this jackass travels to L.A. with the hopes and dreams of meeting her. So he goes to Warner Brothers 
studios while they're filming the show mm. and tries to get in to meet her. So obviously security is like, you know, get the hell out of here, jerk. You're not going on the set. You know, what are you thinking? So he goes home bummed out and he's like, man, that sucks. What can I do to make this better? He's like, I know what to do. I'll get a knife and go back and force them to let me in. So he comes back to the set with a knife and, and basically threatens security. And they're like, basically, they take the knife from him, kick his ass and send him on his way. They didn't call the cops? No, they took care of it. Well, no. So he goes back to Tucson where he's from yeah. and decides, you know what? This one's tough. I'm going to stalk other women. Oh, I'm going to focus on Madonna. I'm going to focus on Tiffany. I'm going to focus on Debbie Gibson. That'll make everything better, right? Because if, you, if you're a stalker, if you just switch the lady, everything's good. Are you giving advice to stalkers? So he starts focusing on them instead, and everything's cool. Everything's moving along just fine. But then, My Sister Sam gets canceled in 1988. And then in 1989, Rebecca decides to take a role in a movie called Scenes from the Class Struggle in Beverly Hills. And she has a sex scene in this movie. Okay. So this psycho Bardo sees this film and loses his mind. So now he's all off. He's like, I can't believe she made this movie. You know, she's supposed to be pure and innocent. And my sister Sam. And, you know, here she is making sex scenes with his people. So what he does is. Why are you laughing? This isn't funny. All right. Well, it's kind of funny. No, there's nothing funny about it he at all. He turns his attention back to her because now he's upset. Yeah. He's like, God damn it. So he learns that another piece of shit named Richard Jackson had once hired a private investigator to get him Teresa Saldana's home address, which was another popular actress, right. who eventually he went and stabbed. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. But she didn't die. <laughs> You're not so, telling us that story, yo. That story has a happy ending. But unfortunately, this idiot, he pays a private detective $250 to use DMV records to find out where Rebecca's oh address God. is. Then he gets his brother to help him get a gun. Now, this is where it gets ugly. Now it's where it gets ugly? So now he takes his third trip to L.A. He spends some time wandering around the neighborhood where she lives, asking people if she actually lives in the neighborhood. Like, he's so stupid, he has her address... Yeah. But he's still not convinced. So he's asking people, does she really oh, live shit. here? So eventually he gets up the nerve and he goes to her house and he rings the doorbell. Ding dong, ding dong. So she answers the door. Now at the time, she was actually expecting a courier with a script for Godfather 3 to be delivered. So she answers the door expecting to find the courier. Mm -hmm. Instead, she finds this guy standing there with the autographed picture. And it's letters she has sent funny. back to him. It is funny. How? how? Because she's all pissed off. Of That's course. That's the funny part. That's not funny. So after a short conversation, Rebecca asked him to please not come to her home again. Yeah. So Bardo uh, leaves. Did she call the police now? No. Jeez, why do people call Did not call the police. So Bardo goes to a diner and has dinner, and he's sitting there stewing, eating food. And decide, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to go back and talk to her again because this is fate. You know, she should like me. Well, I don't know what the hell's going on. So when he goes back, yep. she opens the door with a perturbed look on her face and 
Why are you laughing? This is not funny. Oh Nothing God. about this is funny. <laughs> You're trying to get together now and not laugh. Yeah, I'm trying not to laugh. All right. So she opens the door. She's all pissed off. And, and he shoots her plank point blank in the chest. Oh, my God. It's horrible. And then he runs off. The next day, Bardo is found running around on Interstate 10 in traffic. <laughs> Once apprehended, he confesses He confesses to the murder once they catch him. Yeah. Her death led to the first anti-stalking laws in the United States and also led to the DMV no longer releasing private records to anyone who de- yeah. declared they were a private investigator. I can't imagine you were ever able to do that, like get some kind of information. That's insane, isn't it? Yeah. So, Robert John Bardo gets sentenced to life in prison. In 2007, he was stabbed 11 times by another inmate while he was on his way to breakfast. It's a small price. He did survive the attack, though, in case you were wondering. God damn it. They should have stabbed him more times, in my opinion. Yeah. Rebecca Schaefer was only 21 years old at the time of her death. I guess death would have been too good for him, you know? Then he would have gotten out of prison. Yep. So what happened? Did the did the brother go to jail too, or get? I mean, he- no, nothing happened to the brother. Nothing happened to the private detective. Only this jackass who <laughs> shot her. He's the only one who had anything happen to him. I mean, we know the guy's crazy, but it is this weird. This it's so common too, right? Now look, see, oh, here we go. Do we do we have to say this? I, I know we've done this once before. What? We're saying crazy because look, we're you know we're not going to be very uh, what fantastic with our language. We, mental illness is a serious thing. Folks should seek seek help. Of course, we, of course, all those things are true. Yes, but if you're but if you're mentally ill and you f- kill somebody, f- you. yeah, yes, and uh, it's weird though this idea that you have it. You know, so many times you hear this, they have this sort of thing where it's like he's obsessed with her, but then she's she's unclean now. So now he has to. He's mad at her, so now he has to punish her, I guess. But then, like you said, he goes back because it's fate and she should like him. But when he gets there, he actually mm-hmm. kills her. It's such a bizarre mix of infatuation and hatred. I mean, obviously, again, it's a mental issue, but... Mm-hmm. Are you okay over there, Will? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, yeah. Are you okay with Sad. this story so yeah. far? Terribly tragic. Yeah, this is, this is tragic. Yeah. Now, if that's the first one, oh God, where are we going? <laughs> All right, you ready for the next one? Mm. Uh, Dorothy Stratton. Mm-hmm. You may remember her as a wonderful high school student who, in Canada, used to work at the Dairy Queen, serving up soft serve. Until a piece of shit pimp named Paul <sighs> Schneider found her. Mm. Found her at the Dairy Queen, started dating her. Yeah. <sighs> this is this one's hard. Mm. He saw her as a meal ticket to a big payday. Because she worked at Dairy Queen? No, because she was super hot. Oh, oh, because he, he's pimping her out, yeah. So they start dating, and he at the time was 26 years old. Yeah. She's in high school. She's 17. Mm. He took her to her prom. <sighs> the school yeah. doesn't say a word, but um, there's interviews where her friends have been interviewed about this situation. It was like, it was so creepy that this dude was at the prom. Yeah, again, so many red flags. Why aren't people doing anything? Her parents didn't do anything. The school didn't do anything. So eventually, piece of crap, he was actually a pimp. That was his job, basically. Hmm. He convinces her, hey, Playboy's got this thing where if we send him some pictures, yep. you could be a 
you know, potentially a, a playmate. And she wasn't really digging it at first, but then she's like, all right, well, he's my boyfriend, so, and he's an adult, so I should trust him. And sure as shit, when she sends the, the pictures to, to Hugh, yep. he's like, yeah, you got to come to, mm. to California right away. Yeah, she was beautiful. So she heads to LA and starts, you know, doing her thing there. And uh, immediately she's like, oh, I got to bring my boyfriend to LA because he's the reason I'm here. Mm. So they bring him down and uh, everybody hates him. They're like, this guy's a piece of shit. Yeah. There's a couple of people who don't hate him, but it's funny because the dude who played uh, Jethro. Yeah. Beverly Hillbillies. The uh, dude that played him was actually friends with this guy when he came to LA. Mm. And uh, he's like the only guy in the whole state that likes this guy. <laughs> So the second he gets there, he instantly gets her to marry him. Mm. He's like, yeah, this is perfect. Let's get married. Doesn't want to lose his meal ticket. Right. So Max Bauer is the guy's name from Beverly Hills. Oh, yeah. And he actually told Schneider, if you really care about her, you'll move. You'll take her back to Vancouver. This town will destroy her. Finally, somebody's trying to do something. Yeah. So she, she actually believes that everything good that's happened to her, and by good, I mean being in Playboy. Yeah. Has happened because Schneider has helped her get to here. Well, I, I guess that's in a sense that's true. I mean, he's the one who sees this career path for her and is encouraging her to follow it. Well, he kind of, he did force her to do it. So hmm. so she stars in a movie called Galaxina in 1980, which flops, obviously. So then she's introduced to this guy named Peter Bogdanovich. Sure who recently came out of a, a relationship and the two of them suddenly fall in love as they're working on a movie together. So while they're working on the movie, he comes up with this role for her where she's um, John Ritter's love interest in the movie. Uh, the movie was called They All Laughed. So she ends up to go to New York and starts filming. And the second she arrives in there, she immediately starts sleeping with this dude. And eventually... She tells Schneider, hey, man, uh, we're done. I'm with somebody else now. So the first thing Schneider does is he drains all their bank accounts of every dime. Mm, classy. Takes all the money and then hooks up with his ex-girlfriend. You know, obviously, when you're heartbroken, that's the first thing you do, right? Mm. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, if you're so the next thing he does is hire a private de detective to follow her around. Uh oh, here we go. These private dicks, yeah, man. right? These gumshoes have no integrity back in that's, the 80s. That's why they have a bad reputation. Yeah. So he, after he hires him to follow her around, he says, Hey, Private Dick, can you get me a machine gun? Come on. And when he refuses, he ends up with a 12-gauge shotgun. Did this guy get this for him? No. Oh, okay. So he's off on his own now. He actually had to go get it on his own. But yet, this again, this Private Dick didn't probably call the cops and say- Didn't call the cops. Oh, boy. Didn't turn down the job. Followed her around, told him, yeah, you know what? She's with this dude. Sorry, man. What, what are you going to do? So on August 14th, 1980, Dorothy went over to the house that she had shared with him that he got during their divorce settlement. And everyone told her, do not go see this dude. He's dangerous. You should not go talk to this guy. And she's like, no, 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 because we're going to be friends when this is over. Yep. And everybody's like, oh, I don't think that's a good idea. But she's like, yeah, it'll be fine. So Schneider's living in the house. He's got two roommates. They're not home at the time because uh, they heard she's coming over. So they were like, yeah, we're going to we're gonna blow out of here and let you guys do your thing. In case you murder anybody. 
Right, you know, things can get shit. We know you got that shotgun. So they leave. They come back later and they see her car's outside and his bedroom door is closed. So they're like, oh, they must be making up. They're not making up. Yeah, they're not making up. Jackass shot her in the face. Jesus Christ. And then shot himself in the face. Oh. Did he die? Yes. Thank goodness. Homicide, suicide. Jeez. Peter Bogdanovich is, I didn't recall that he was involved in this story. He directed, in the 1980s, he directed Mask. Oh, it gets better. You want to hear about that? Yeah. When he was in his 20s, he married a woman named Polly Platt, about his own age. Then Peter Bogdanovich dated Sybil Shepard. He was 31. She was 21. Yeah. When he dated Dorothy Statton, he was 42. She was 20. His next girlfriend, who he married, was named Louise Stratton. Does that name sound familiar? Uh, don't say younger sister of Dorothy. That is Dorothy's younger sister. Oh, for crying out loud. He was 49 years old. She was 20. Seven years after she was murdered, Jackass married her sister. Gotta be kidding me. Goodness gracious. Nope. Absolutely a piece of shit scumbag. Yeah. I, I, I was like, I was reading that and I'm like, wait a minute. What is wrong with me? men? Extremely creepy. And again, what is this mix of, uh, like, possessing, you know, look, he had this playboy aspect of it, so he appreciated her beauty, you know, and how she was mm-hmm. attractive this way. But he had a possessor, so let's get married as soon as possible. Then it became this, if I can't have you, nobody can kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> Another interesting side note to this story is, um, this this was um, the inspiration for a TV movie called Death of a Centerfold in 1981. Mm, okay. Which starred the amazing Jamie Lee Curtis as Dorothy. And uh, Robert Reed, who we know as Mr. Brady. Right. So, you know, that's good, right? Is he the Bogdanovich character? I don't know what he played, but then you have Star 80, which yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with. Sure. In, in 83, which starred Mariel Hemingway. Right. Which is the granddaughter of Ernest Hemingway. And Eric Roberts played Paul Schneider, the scumbag piece right. of shit. Right. And uh, Keenan Ivory Wayne's even appeared in that as the club comedian. Gosh, I do not remember that. Yeah, it's like one of the earliest roles for him. Yeah. But yeah, ended in murder. I thought you were going to say, you said, hey, just as a side note, here's another story. Just kidding. I made these stories up. Everybody's still alive uh, no. and making movies. Oh, no, no, no. The side note is uh, Dorothy died when she was 20. <sighs> Dudes, man. Scumbags. So let's continue with the scumbags. Shall we? Does that mean I have a choice? You don't have a choice. <laughs> I'm halfway through my bottle of wine. Oh, you got to time it, folks. Where are you at? Yeah. How are you doing on your wine? It's time to chug. Yeah, you got to be halfway here. So, Dominique Dunn. Oh, yeah. She was born to Dominic Dunn, who is a writer and producer and actor in Santa Monica, California, on November 23rd, 1959. She landed minor roles on TV shows in the 80s. And then in 1981, she got her big break when she landed the role of Dana in the movie Poltergeist. Oh, yeah. And as we all know, the movie Poltergeist... It's not cursed. It is cursed. Oh, hey, we did an episode if, on that. Listen to that. If you need any more proof, yeah. here we go. Around the same time, she met a sous chef at a party named John Thomas Sweeney. And after only dating for a couple of weeks, they moved in together. As soon as they move in together, she realizes this guy's a... And he's possessive and jealous as all hell. 
and they begin to fight all the time. Oh, boy. Yep. And it took him almost choking her to death for her to leave him. So a couple weeks later, Dominique has left him. She's in her own place now, and she is now rehearsing with David Packard at her home for a new show that they both landed roles on called V. Mm, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Side note, David Packard appeared as Bidwell in Almost Heroes. Mm. He's hilarious in that. Yeah, but I don't know. This story is not going to paint him in a good picture. So Sweeney shows up at her house that night wanting to talk about stuff. And, you know, he wants to you know work it out. Or You know, baby, I didn't mean to choke you. Yeah. It's an accident. So she agrees to talk to him outside on the porch. So a few minutes later, Packer heard what he described as a smacking sound, two screams, and a thud. Now, at this point, as a man, Here what the hell would you do? Yeah, I can't. Well, in this, in this story, in this world, nobody ever does anything to save anybody, regardless of the red flags. Yeah, it's like an 80s horror movie, right? Yeah, I get, yeah. Now, in my world, I would have never let the girl go out there to talk to this in the first place. Yeah. And at this point, I'd have been out the door to see what the was going on. Yeah. Right? As you would, right? Yeah. I mean, neither one of us is a gigantic Superman or nothing. Yeah. But we would have went outside and said, hey, yeah. what are you, what are you doing, bro? i in that situation before, yeah. Right. So instead of that, he calls the police. And they say, hey, you called the wrong number. Oh, for crying out loud. You got to call the other number. So he hangs up and he calls a friend and goes, hey, if I get murdered, this is the guy that did it. <laughs> That's what he does. So then he goes out the back door. Oh. S- sneaks around oh, to the for front. Oh, crying out loud, dude. To see what's going on like a little b- It's taking too long. Yeah. So by the time he actually sneaks all the way around the front, he uh, he finds Jackass out there standing over her. Oh, my goodness. And he says to Packer, I killed my girlfriend and I tried to kill myself. So luckily, the police station he called, he gave the address to, and they actually called the other police station and the, Mm. the cops came. So when the police arrived... Sweeney is just standing in the driveway and Packer's just standing there too. Mm. Like he, they don't, like Packer doesn't know what to do like he's an idiot. Yeah. And the killer's just standing there and he turns himself in. So he tells the police, I tried to kill myself. I went in the house, took a bunch of pills. But during the autopsy, they find out he choked her for three minutes. Mm. So even though Dum Dum called the cops, snuck around, this guy didn't have time to go in the house and take pills or anything. And they finally didn't have no pills in his system or nothing. So... The police arrive, he puts his hands in the air, they find out he choked her, she she went unconscious, she died at the hospital, because she was in a coma, they had to take her off life support. He claims he tried to do CPR, which he never did. So, he's found guilty of voluntary manslaughter and sentenced to six and a half years in prison. What? Yep. I see. The judge in this case was heavily criticized. It gets worse. They let him out for good behavior. <sighs> He only serves three years. When he gets out, yeah. what does he do? Uh, gets another girlfriend and mistreats her as well. He goes back to the same restaurant he was a sous chef at. You're kidding. They hire him back? They get him his job back. How did he fill out the application? It always You've ever been convicted of a crime? Uh, what do you mean by crime? So, at this point, the Dunn family is furious. Yeah. Now, here's the trick. Griffin Dunn, yeah. who is a star of An American Werewolf in London, sure. he, played, he played Jack. Yeah. That's his sister. I didn't I had no idea. Yeah. 
So now he's got his job back, and Griffin and her father are standing outside the restaurant, passing out flyers that say, the food you will eat tonight was cooked by the hands that killed Dominique Dunn. Wow. So eventually the restaurant just like, you know what, we can't deal with this, and they fire the guy. So the guy moves to the Pacific Northwest, changes his name, but Dominic Dunn, the father, is like, no, I'm not done with this. Yeah. So he's tracking him, and he's keeping an eye on him. And then eventually he just realizes that he's not living life. He's just wasting his time on this piece of shit. So he finally just lets it go. And Dominique was 22 years old at the time Jeez. of her death. You have three actresses who had everything going in the world. Yeah. All dead. 20? 22? Yeah. What was the other one? 21? Yeah, it's basically the same story. Some some jackass murdered yeah. them. Like uh, this weird, uh, obviously, again, some sort of mental issue that in your mind combines passion and love and lust and hate and all together and ends in such a tragic way. Yeah. And if you're in the Pacific Northwest, yeah, watch out what sous chef oh, you date. Yeah, is this guy, is he still out he's, there? He's still out there. Mm. It's like an 80s horror movie right there. Yeah. He's still out there. If I knew what his name was, I'd give it to you, but I don't. So just be careful. You know, don't I, don't date sous chefs. Yeah. They're dangerous. And I don't, I'll say, I, I don't know that we hear these stories anymore because I think folks have better security now. I think they have, you know, folks that know how to spot these types of quote unquote fans and deal with them appropriately. I, I guess I don't know. I, I hope so. I mean, hmm. Because we know dudes are still, you know, and um, I don't know. David Spade's got a great story about the, uh, Skippy, the guy that yeah. broke into his house. Yeah, that's true. Well, he well Skippy was his assistant, so yeah, know. he didn't even have to break in. He yeah. had the codes and everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what to say, man. All these women that, and we, you know, we, we were familiar with them. We know that why well, Dorothy Stratton. I only know about the story, but obviously Dominic Dunn. Yeah, he had seen. I had yeah. seen. I remember when that got no, announced in the news because. I was aware of her because of Poltergeist because it only happened, what, a, that's like the oh, it year was, it came out or something. It was so fast, man. Yeah. She was she was famous for like three seconds and gone. Yeah. I think Poltergeist was 82 and I think she was murdered in 82. So, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's tragic, man. And uh, who was the first one you did? Um, uh, Rachel, uh, not Rachel. Rebecca. Rebecca. Rebecca, yeah, I remember her and my sister Rebecca Sam. Schaefer. That was a show yeah. I watched. And some jackass just yeah. super fan comes to her house and shoots her. Now, those were probably the first deaths or murders, I guess, that sort of um, felt close to me, you know, as far as in the news or celebrities, because I was familiar with them in those shows or the films. Yeah, I think this is where the beginning of private security for superstars comes from. Yeah. Because these were all so close together. Yeah. That, um, you know, even opening your front door is scary. Yeah. But I guess, and you know, in two of those stories, it was the boyfriend or the husband. So, you know, security probably wouldn't have been able to help in those instances and wouldn't be able to help today either. Huh. So what you're saying is it's terrifying. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Maybe more terrifying <laughs> in the 80s. I don't know. No, it's more terrifying now. But, you know, that's one of the things, you know, so it's terrible that these uh, private investigators would track down celebrities, you know, or track down anybody for that matter. But for, I, for $250 yeah. too. I mean, that's the craziest part to me. I don't think in this day and age you even need a private investigator. I think you could just if, Google a couple things. If I was a private investigator and somebody said, can you get me this woman's address? Yeah. 
and a goddamn machine gun? Y- yes, right. I will give you $250? You'd say 500 Yeah, I know. I wouldn't say, you know what? No, I'll get you the address, but not the machine gun. Yeah. That's f- crazy. You'd say $1,000 and I'd get you both or a, hand, a revolver at least. <laughs> I mean, come on. How about baseball bat? 45 bucks. Oh, Jesus, man. I think we think the show just fades out. <laughs> Oh, we've Just proven over. something. What? Oh, God, no. We've always proved something. Uh, I will say I, le- I don't learn anything. I knew, I knew men were... <laughs> <laughs> and, and people are going to kill people. And I knew all that stuff already. I knew the 80s was terrifying because I lived in it. <laughs> well, have we, we have proven oh, yeah. beyond a shadow of a doubt okay. that if you were beautiful in the 1980s... Oh, some psychopath was out there trying to yeah. kill you. Well, hey, if you're hearing this show, I suppose you survived it. Yep. Finish your bottle of wine, and we'll see you next time. We'll talk to you next time on the 80s. I guess. <laughs>